You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Loved ones, if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to John chapter 17? And I'll wish you a very happy Family Day weekend. And thankful that you've decided to join us this weekend on your church family to be here today. While you're turning there, let me uh, put up a quote by an English missionary. His name's William Carey, and he, for really, uh, for all examination, he's the one who began or was the first wave of English Baptist missionaries that started this great missionary movement hundreds of years ago. He said this, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm succeeding. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Do you ever ask yourself those kinds of questions? Am I succeeding at things that just don't matter? Uh, you ask yourself the question, am I living the life that God wants me to live? Is this the direction God wants me to go? Am I living a life that's going to actually count for something? Am I living the life that Jesus wants for me? Well, John tells us earlier in his gospel, seven chapters earlier, in John 10.10, Jesus would stand and say, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, the world has its own version of abundant life, doesn't it? It says, okay, here's the abundant life for you. The world says, uh, eat as much as you can. Sleep as much as you can. Work as much as you can. Drink as much as you can. Have as much sex as you can. Buy as much as you can. Go to as many places as you can. Do as many things as you can. Vacation as often as you can. Carpe diem as much as you can. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. So the world says, and Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that you'd have life, and life abundantly. Maybe it's just me. I'm thinking about this stuff more. Am I, am I living the life that Jesus wants for me? Maybe it's, I had a milestone birthday, birthday this past year, and I'll be offended if you guess wrong. Uh, but <laughs> I'm asking myself the question, Am I succeeding at things that, that just don't matter? Am, am I succeeding at things that Jesus doesn't care about? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look into God's Word, and we're going to examine some of the last words that Jesus says to His followers. We're going to look at it in the form of prayer, actually, because that's what Jesus is doing. He's praying for this and for them. And what He's going to call them to is to live their lives These are the last words of Jesus, and some of the most important words of Jesus. He's going to call them to live the life of a follower of Christ. Live the life of a Christ follower and find real community and real purpose and real meaning in their lives. Pause that for a second. Christ follower. That reminds us of language that we use around our church, doesn't it? Let me remind you of the sermon series that our pastor walked us through in the fall by the same name, The Life of a Christ Follower. And really what we're going to do today, in fact, it's a great time for us to re-examine these truths, to remind ourselves, to reapply, and I pray, reignite a passion for the life that Christ wants for us. Listen, Jesus is, is calling us to live 
today. And not like, like live. And not even like live. He's calling us to live for him today. Not to waste my life. Not to squander my life on things that actually don't matter. Not to, not to succeed at things that Jesus doesn't care about. But to actually live my life for the things that he is most passionate about. Let's step into the furnace of God's word into chapter 17. And while we're doing that, let me uh, show you from John uh, earlier on where we are, because this is a long chapter. And in fact, it's in the end of a long discourse that Jesus has with his disciples. In fact, John 13 sets the context that we are actually in an upper room. We're actually a part of the story watching the Last Supper. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He declares to them that one of them is going to betray him. Judas takes his exit. And then Jesus begins... In John 14, 15, and 16, what big Bible smarty pants heads call the upper room discourse. That's just a fancy word for they're in the upper room and Jesus is talking. Now, what Jesus is talking about is quite important. In fact, I could summarize it like this. Jesus in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is saying, I'm going to go soon. You're going to face a lot of opposition. I'm going to send you help in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, and mostly, most importantly, I love you. Then John chapter 17 turns. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What's he doing right here? So he stopped talking like this. Did you notice this? He stopped talking to them, and now he turns and starts talking to his father. What's he doing? He's praying. Yeah, he's praying. He's talking to his father. Uh, have you ever walked in on, on someone when they were praying? Maybe you heard your name as you walked in the room and, and saw them praying for you? Uh, maybe not, not many of us. Maybe some of us. But all of us are about to. Look with us at John 17, verse 20. This is our text for today. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Pause that. Have you ever walked in on someone who's praying for you specifically? Well, you just did. Verse 20, I don't ask for these only. Who were the these? They were the 11 disciples, minus Judas. No Judas, the rest of the disciples. I do not ask for all these the 11 faces that I'm looking at, but also for all those who will, future tense, believe in me through their word. I don't ask just for these guys. Matthew's there. Matthew would write a gospel. Uh, John's there. John would write a gospel and some letters. Peter's there. Uh, Peter would write through Mark his gospel. Uh, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, all these guys, they, 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 would, they would preach the, the gospel to, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These guys are going out and being the witnesses. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm not just asking for these guys, I'm also asking for those who will believe. The 3,000 who will come to Christ on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to ask as well for that guy named Paul, who right now is a Pharisee, a devout Pharisee, and who hates me. Yet he will come to Christ. I'm asking for him too. I'm also asking for a little kid by the name of Timothy, with, with his Jewish mom and, and his Gentile dad. I'm going to ask for him too. I'm also going to ask for Lydia, the purple dyer up in Asia Minor. I'm going to pray for her too. I'm not going to pray for those guys. I'm also going to pray for a guy who's never been born, who hasn't been born yet. 
Augustine, I'll pray for him. I'm also going to pray for a guy way down the road, Martin Luther. I'm also going to pray for his buddy, John Calvin. I'm also going to pray for a name by, guy by the name of Billy Graham. I'm also going to pray for someone, that man or that woman, who led these people here to Christ. And then I'm going to pray for these people who know Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? I find this amazing that Jesus Christ is praying for you in this passage. In these next six verses, he's praying for you who've given your life to Christ. Do you, do you know what I did in my Bible next to these verses? I, uh, I, I dropped my notes. But. Do you know what I did? I, did? I, wrote, I wrote my name. You can't see it. You can do that too if you want. Just don't write Craig. Like, <laughs> unless that is your name, but you can, you can write your name. Jesus prayed for you in this passage, in these verses. And he prayed for you that you would live your life. He had you in mind, believer. Look at verse 21. What's he praying for? That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, Jesus has some priorities in his prayer. In fact, John records this as the last public prayer, the last time that's recorded of prayer for the disciples. Now, the other gospel writers will tell us that this isn't the only time that Jesus prayed. In fact, he would pray after this as he leaves this scene and goes to Gethsemane. He prays with agony to his father. He also addresses his father upon the cross. It's not the last prayer of Jesus, but this is the last prayer we have recorded about the disciples. If this was the last time you were going to pray for somebody in this life, wouldn't you make it count? I think so. And so what we're looking at is not only the last prayer, but the last words to the disciples and to all those who would believe through their message. Now what I want to show you is these are key things. In fact, I want to show you key priorities that Jesus prays for you. That I want them to live, he says. I want them to live their life, to lay hold of life and really live. Not just live or live. He wants them to live for him and take hold of the life and the things that truly matter. Let me show you this first. He prays that you would understand, you and I would understand this truth today, that you've got one family, you've got one family, and you are to connect with believers. You've got one family, connect with believers. Look again with me at verse 21, that they all may be, listen for a key word, okay? That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me that they may become perfectly one. What's the key word? One. So the key word is one. Now, when we hear the key word one, we can understand that wrong. We can put on cultural glasses and we can say that's what one means. Uh, let me give you a wrong way to understand one. You can think of one being like this. We are one in everything. We think the same. You thought that about that? I thought that too. You said that about that. I said that too. You wore those clothes today. I wore those clothes today. We are one in everything. That's uniformity, and that's not what one means. How do we know this? Well, because God's word points us to another example of oneness. 
that tells us that that does not mean uniformity. It does not mean we're one in absolutely everything. What's the example that the Bible gives us? It's the example of marriage. God's Word tells us that marriage, in marriage, where husband and a wife are to be one. Well, my wife and I are, are one in our marriage. But let me give you a tip here, or a hint. We definitely do not think the same about things. Uh, we definitely do not talk the same way. If you met my wife, you would say, wow, she's a lot nicer than you. And, and thank the Lord we don't dress the same either. We don't, we're not the same at all, but we're one. We're one. And the truth is, is, in the body of Christ, there's amazing diversity. We can just see that even in this room right now. There's amazing diversity. We don't think the same about stuff. That's one mistake you can make when you hear the word one. We're exactly the same. That's wrong. The other mistake we can make, which is the more common one that you and I will continually make in the North American context, which is we are one, meaning we are one in one thing. What is that one thing? Wow. How are you like that like that brother there. Well, we're, this, we're one, man. How are you one? Well, we both like Jesus. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, we go to harvest. We both like Jesus. We both like Jesus and we go to harvest. We are one in thought. We think the same about one thing. That's the mistake we often make in our church context. How is the body of Christ one? We agree on the same truths. That's it. We're one. Is that it? The corrective for this is actually right in the passage that we have in front of us. How does Jesus intend for us to be one? Is it, is it, a, is it a one uniformity? No. Is it a one just on one on one thing? Look, look at what he says. How are we called to be one? Verse 21. They're calling just that they would be one just as you Father are in me, and I in you. Look at verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. We are to become one, he's saying, uh, in a similar way that the Father and the Son are one. Are they uniform? No, they're not uniform. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father and the Son, but they're one. They're united together. Are they one because they think the same about one thing? No. It's much, much more than that. The oneness of the Trinity is a oneness of eternal love for one another, of, of connection with one another, of oneness in purpose, of oneness in mind, of oneness in direction, of oneness in mission. And again, oneness in love for each other. Just like we are, Father. Make them like that too. And listen, Jesus prayed some 2,000 years ago in the upper room, looking to his Father and saying, Father, not just for these 11, but for the millions who will come after, the folk who will sit in 500 great lakes on this day, family day week, praying that they be one, just like you and I are one, Father. That they be one. One in love. One in purpose. One in direction. So let me ask you a question. If that's what oneness looks like, according to Jesus... As he defines it in his prayer, if you're called to oneness in the body of Christ, one in purpose, one in love, one in direction with each other, how can we accomplish this if we never see each other? How can we build that if I never see you at all? How can I build up this kind of connection in community when I spend no time with you at all? Now, here's where we take our theology and we put little legs on it and we 
examine our hearts and we'll go and have a little, little checkup. I want to show you this. This is our model of discipleship at our church. You've seen this before, abide, connect, share. What is a true Christ follower? A Christ follower abides, they connect, they share. So what we're talking about right now is connecting, that they be one, connecting. How do I know that I've believed this? How do I know that I believed in the importance of connecting in community with the body of Christ? Well, the theology gets legs and it practices these things. Okay, I, I know that I am, I am a follower of Christ and I believe in connecting with community and believers because I'm, I'm, I believe in the power of gather time. What's gather time? Let me read you gather time from this card that I found in the lobby. Gather time is a love for God's family and gathered weekly worship. That means not just now, right here, yes, sweet, but also prayer meeting time when we gather together to pray. By the way, this right now, gather time, that's what your kids are learning right now up at Harvest Kids. But how do I know that I believe it? Well, I gather, I gather in the weekly community, but I'm also connecting in groups. What's group time? Group time is a commitment to consistently grow with accountability with other community of believers in Jesus Christ. Growing together. This is how I know that I believe this. I connect in groups, and I connect together within the body of Christ. I know this. I believe this. Okay, so let me ask you this. Okay, if Jesus says that this is a priority, that we be one together, and you can't be one when you spend no time with each other. If, if, if I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to recognize that I've got one family together and I must connect with other believers, why don't I do this? Why is this so hard for so many? Well, I put together four reasons. They're not my reasons. They're actually Pastor Robbie's reasons. I stole them. Uh, here's a reason. Ignorance. I didn't know that you're supposed... Now you do. I don't know, I don't know about it, I don't know if I could do that. Well, God's Word calls you to. I don't think that's really important at all. Well, God's Word says it's important. These are some of the last words that Jesus prays for you and I. He prays that you be connected in one. I don't think you should be indifferent about this. And then when all three of those are gone, then I think, honestly, truly, the real reason comes out. Yeah, but it doesn't really fit. Like the group is far from our house, or the time of the day is wrong, or that's not the kind of thing I wanted, or the prayer meetings are late. I don't know if I really have the time for that right now. I don't know if I can really do that. Why is this so important to Jesus? Why do you think Jesus prays for this, that we be one? I'll give you a few reasons. Here's, one, here's a good reason, so that I can be ministered to. When I'm out alone, I don't get ministered to by other believers in Jesus Christ. But when I'm connected in the body of Christ, other believers know me, they care for me, they love me. And their gifts and their talents are ministering to me. And guess what? My gifts and my talents are ministering to them as well in community with one another. I can minister to others. Here's another good reason, uh, that you can be reminded of the truth. When you stop attending weekend services, when you stop connecting in groups in our church, then you start forgetting key truths. Uh, just this past Friday, I was with my group in the mornings and, and, and talking with them some of the struggles in my heart, and these guys around the table are reminding me of the truth of God's Word, just pouring the Word of God over me. And I'm sitting there, yes, yes, I need to hear that again. Because my mind, in the way it struggles, forgets these things. Be reminded of the truth. Be cared for and ministered. Here's the third one. So that you don't leave yourself open to attack. And make no mistake about it, loved ones. A sheep by itself is open to attack. Is that you? Out there by yourself? Succeeding at things that don't matter? Succeeding at things that God does not care about? But you're under attack because you're out there alone. Is that you out there alone, 
succeeding at life and yet living lies that your husband, that your wife doesn't know about? Is that you out there alone, striving hard to, to make your name, uh, working hard at work, striving hard with activities with the kids, not connecting in community here, and yet struggling deeply in your sin, and the enemy laughing at you as he seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy you? Is that you? Listen, the, the Christian life is not a solo mission. It was never intended to be. Understand this, loved ones, too, that the Bible, the New Testament, has no category for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, and you do not want to get in community with other followers of Christ, there's no category for that. There is a category that says, maybe you're not a follower of Christ, and there is a category that says, maybe you're being disobedient, but there's no category for you if you're saying, you know what, I'm a follower, but I'm just going to do it alone. That doesn't fit with God's Word. The Christian life is not a solo mission. Jesus wants you to live in the family, connecting with other believers. But there's another reason why community is so important. Look with me back up to verse 22. What I want to do is read these next few verses again to you, and we're going to look at it from the other side of the coin, and I want to show you the second priority that Jesus has for us, okay? So the, the second thing, look at verse 21. So, so that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you've sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Let me give you the second thing, the second priority that Jesus prays for. Again, looking not just to his 11 disciples, but looking into the distant, into the deep future. The, 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 the things that would call us to live, to really live, to lay hold of life and live the life that Christ wants for us. Here's the second thing, is to realize that I've got one mission. I've got one mission, share with the world. I've got one family, connect with believers. Now I've got one mission, share with the world. The great aim of, of a relational community, Jesus says, of this connection of the church that we have with other believers, of love, of purpose, of direction, is not that we would be a, a, a group of people that just stare at each other and say, oh, that's an interesting thought, that's an interesting thought, oh, that's an interesting... No, it's not that we'd be internally looking, it's that we'd be externally looking. The relationships that we have with one another in the body of Christ are meant to spill over into relationships that we might have and could have with the world in reaching them with the message of Jesus Christ. The reality is, is a true Christ follower must share. You can't hoard it. You can't take it in and say, I'm just going to keep it for myself. C.T. Studd, he's a missionary who's got a great name. He said this, true religion is like the smallpox. If you get it, you give it to others, and it spreads. I love that. True religion is like the smallpox. If you get it, you give it to others and it spreads. And that's the intention of the gospel. Not just that you get it and go, oh, that's interesting. I'll keep that forever. No, I get it. I got to tell them about it. But what do I need to tell them? What's the message that I share? What's the words that are supposed to be coming out of my mouth? I want, to, I want you to see those two phrases again. They were so that phrases. Did you see them in verses 21 and 23? Let me pull them up here for you. Uh, this gives us the content of the message that we're to share, or the, the big title of the content. I want you to see these two things, okay? So that, this is the first one, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So that the world may believe that you've sent me and you've loved them, even as you've loved me. 
These are the two big truths of the message that we are to share with the world. The first truth is this, that Jesus was sent to us. He was sent to us. And then the second big truth is this, that God loves us. Now, why are these big truths? These are big truths because the world tells big lies in opposition to them. The world says, no, 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 Jesus wasn't sent to you. God doesn't care about you. God would never send his son. He doesn't care about you. First of all, God doesn't have a son. Second of all, God doesn't exist, says the world. And third of all, even if God did have a son and did exist, why would he care about you? You're just so small and so little and so insignificant. You yell at your kids. You get frustrated when you drive. You don't eat right. You're losing your hair, hypothetically. <laughs> Why would God care about you? He doesn't care about you, says the world. Jesus says, no, I, that the world would know that you sent me to them. And then secondly, that it would know, that it would believe that God loves us that God loves us, that we would believe that God loves us, that God loves us like he loves his son, did you see? And Jesus prays this, this is what I want their lives to be about. This is the message, this is the content of the gospel message, that they would know that I came to the world and that they would know that you love them. You ever been sick? I don't need you to answer that. I know you have. It's part of the human condition, you get sick. Some of us have been sick enough that you go into the hospital do you know how you know if somebody loves you when you're in the hospital? I did a little diagram. Here it is, okay? <laughs> Bro, I'm sorry you're sick. Okay. Wow, they wrote me a letter. Wow, that takes time. Like with a pen and a stamp. Now we're talking. Chocolate's come. That's great. Then a call. Thank you so much. Things change when that happens, doesn't it? You really know who loves you when the, the people who come to the hospital bed. That they would know that you sent me, Jesus says. Now notice this, to the human condition, in the frailty of our sin, in the weakness that we're struggling in, in the blindness, in the fact that we exist in a state of rebellion against God, running away from God, running away from the things of God, and struggling, and then, and then scraping ourselves with our own sin, wallowing in mire and misery. It's, it, it, this is the demonstration of the love of God. Not sitting back and saying, wow, that looks bad, but coming to us. Clothing himself in humanity. And though he himself never sinned, he suffered the effects of sin around him. He suffered the, 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 the effects of the hurts of the world around him. He came to us, clothed in us, and endured what we endured. That the world would know that you sent me, and I came. But there's more than this. This can't happen at our hospital beds, but imagine if it did. Imagine if now the hospital guest visitor said, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to do one more thing, and it's this. I'm going to take your sickness in my body. I'm going to suffer its pain. I'm going to maybe even endure death for you so that you don't have to do it. We'll just right now switch places. You'll get up, you'll walk away healed, and I'll get in the bed, and I'll die in your place. You see, the world, as Jesus describes it, lost in its sin, did not just see Jesus come. It also saw Jesus 
bear the sins of the world and the sickness of the world, endure it upon the cross, crush the consequences of our sin upon the cross so that you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, might have freedom and forgiveness from sin and an eternity with Christ. And Jesus says, so that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them even as you love me. Now, when our pastor preached on this passage about sharing Christ, he took us to Matthew chapter 5, the text in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the mission, the one mission that Jesus wants us on, to share Christ into the world. So let me ask you this question. If this, if this is what Jesus wants us on, if this is the priority that Jesus prays to, then what's taking priority in my life over those things? What's taking priority in my life over this mission in my life? Where am I spending time? Where am I succeeding in things that Jesus doesn't care about? Where am I succeeding in things that just don't matter? Let's put, let's put legs to our theology again one more time. Let me pull up. Our, our, this is our discipleship model. Again, we talked about connecting. And how do I know I believe that? Well, I get in gather time and I get in group time. How, now, how do I know if I'm sharing in Christ? Well, I, I'm giving time. What's give time? That means stewarding the gifts that God's given me. I mean stewarding financially, but then also stewarding the talents and abilities that God's given me, the spiritual gifts that God's given me. That I you know, recognize, okay, God's given me the gift of encouragement, but you know what? I'm not going to use it at all. No, I'm going to step forward I'm going to use it. I'm going to sacrifice my time and my, 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 my free time and my hobby time. And I'm going to serve. This is going to be real in my life. What, what, about, what about sacrificing for sharing Christ in go time? And we just heard a whole announcement related to go time and the ways that you can get connected in go time. Go time is the sharing of this message, both locally and globally. As Pastor Greg prayed, it doesn't have to be all the way over on the other side of the world. It could be in the office that you work in. How do I know that that's real in my life? How do I know that I believe this? I start practicing those things in my life. Listen, if Jesus prays specifically that I would live my life by recognizing this, that I've got one mission and I must share it with the world, then my question is, why don't I do it? Well, I came up with four reasons why. I didn't know. Well, now you do. God's word's clear. These are some of the last words that Jesus prays for you and I, recorded in Scripture, that we would live this way. Now you know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. As God's Spirit moves in you, of course. You've not been left alone. Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. It matters a great deal to Christ. And then when those three are gone, then we're left with the one that we often wrestle with. Yeah, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the calendar. It doesn't fit the schedule. It doesn't fit the life right now. C.T. Studd, he said this, if Jesus be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. This is an English missionary. What you don't know about him maybe is that he was the Michael Jordan of cricket at the time. Cricket, big sport in England. 
He was huge. Millions of dollars. His family had millions of dollars. He literally gave it all up, walked away. So I think, I think he speaks with authority. If Jesus be Christ, if, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now listen, I know how you feel because I don't like to say these words. My flesh hates them even as they're coming out of my mouth. This is hard a truth for me. As I look at, what are my reasons, Craig? Why aren't you on this one? What's God trying to tell you, Craig? Listen, our, as our pastor said, the Great Commission doesn't come with exception clauses. It's not, go therefore and make disciples. Unless, you know, you don't have a lot of time. It doesn't, go therefore and make disciples, you know, unless, you know, the kid's got that thing and you got laid out, you know, got to work and I get that, you want to pursue that career. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, go therefore and make disciples unless you're unprepared unless you don't know enough, unless you've got that busy job, that busy home. No, it says, go, therefore, and make disciples. And listen, Jesus wants you to live. This is the priority that Jesus puts his thumb on. I want them on this. This is what a life looks like that I truly care about. One more thing before we leave this point. Tell me, tell me honestly, in your heart, you, tell, you answer this question. What is the world, your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving family, what are they, when they look at you, what do they see as the highest priority of your life? What is that? What's the thing that you are striving to be successful at that they would look at and say, that's what he's gunning for? What is it? And what does it need to be? Let's keep moving. Let's head to the final thing that Jesus prays for. Look with me. We're going to break new ground here in verse 24. Father, I desire, verse 24, I desire that they also, still praying, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's the last point for our outline today. In many ways, it's our biggest. It's probably not coming as a surprise what it is. Uh, Christ calls us to live, to truly live, and to do that, I must realize that I've got one God and I must abide in him. One God, abide in Christ. One God, abide in Christ. Abide, connect, share. None of what we're talked about so far, the connecting, the sharing, is possible unless this happens. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Now the context and the tone of these final words is a beautiful prayer. And what Jesus petitions his Father for, if you could distill it down to one thought, it's this. That they, not just the eleven, but the ones coming, that they may be with me where I am. That's what Jesus prays for that we would be with him wherever he is. That, that to me is one of the most astonishing facts of the gospel. That God, who knows me even better than I know myself, wants me with him. I know who I am. You know who you are. But God wants you with him. Now Jesus is, is talking eternally here. He, he means heaven. He means that when we die... Uh, he prayed that we would be with him. That's the, the, the note. And by the way, how beautiful is it that when Jesus prays for something, he prays in perfect alignment with the Father. And so guaranteed what's going to come is the result of his prayer in that direction. So get this. Jesus prayed that you would be with him. 
Jesus always prays the will of the Father. And when you pray the will of the Father, you get what you pray for. So therefore, we will always be with Jesus. Mind blown. Now, what comes when we're with Jesus? He tells us what comes. The text ahead of us tells us. Look at verse 24. Keep your eyes on God's word. There's some amazing realities here. Verse 24, that, that, that when we would be with him, we would see his glory that you've given him because you have loved him from before the foundation of the world. That's what Jesus prays for, that they would see my glory that you've given me from before the foundation of the world. The awesome glory of the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed to us. Not as in a mirror dimly, but soon, face to face, the radiance of the Son of God, to whom and before whom all things fade into nothingness. That's coming for the believer in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. What else is coming? I know you, and these know that you have sent me. The understanding truth that Jesus is who he says he is right now, and even more so when we see him. When we see him face to face, we'll understand more fully who Jesus is. Not just seeing him in his glory, but also understanding him deeply. That's coming too. Verse 26, that the love that you have loved me may be in them. That's coming too. The full unity with Christ and his great love for us. The full understanding of this love. That's coming too. These are things that we look ahead to in eternity. I understand that. But can't we also say that these can be increasingly true in our lives this day as we spend time with Christ As we abide in him, can't we know more of his glory? Can't we know more of his person? Can't we know more of his love today? I believe, yes, we can. Abiding in Christ today makes all things possible. Look at John 15, 5. Our pastor preached from this when he spoke on abide. He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you bear much fruit. The reality for the Christ follower of following him is that with Christ, we can do everything. Anchored in Christ, when he is alive in you, life flows through you. So let me ask you the question. If Jesus wants me to live this way, connected in him, I in them, he says, abiding in him, Why am I not taking time to do this? Well, I came up with four reasons. (laughs) I didn't know. Well, now you do. What? Me? Like me? He wants me? Yeah, you. Does it really matter? Look, man, apart from him, you can do nothing. You think you can be that kind of mom? You think that you can be that kind of dad? You think that you can can live your life? You think you could struggle with your own sin on your own? That's hugely important. When all that's gone, then we're left with this one. Yeah, but I don't really, it doesn't fit in my, I'm living for something else. I'm striving for success in a different direction. Now, at our church, we have this bullseye again. So how do I know if I believe connect? Well, I'm gathering and I'm grouping. How do I know I believe share? I'm giving and I'm going. How do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? Well, I have God time. Time spent daily in God's Word, opening up God's Word, seeking Him through God's Word. Not that I understand everything, but I'm giving Him time. 
Maybe I'm just starting with, with 25 minutes or half an hour of my day. Just time with you, Lord. Opening up God's word. Seeking him in prayer. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So why would I try and live on my own apart from him? Listen, how can you expect to grow when you never eat? How can you expect to grow when you only have one meal a week on maybe a Sunday or a Saturday night? You don't raise your kids like that, do you? I want to grow up big and strong. Great. No food for you for a week. It doesn't work like that. You feed, they feed them and then they just grow. You don't grow unless you get fed. You don't grow unless you stick your nose in God's word and read what God has for you. Speaks to you directly in the day. Now, what I want to do is, I want to look at verse 26 and do a mini God time, and then, our, then we're done, okay? So I want to look at, and, and I want to dig in through verse 26, take a little God time with you today, and I want to show you why we should run to this, okay? So we've heard from Jesus, this is the life I want you. I want you abiding in me. I want you connecting with other believers. I want you sharing with the world. Why should we do this? The answer, I think, is found in verse 26. Look at the text. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I made known to them your name, Jesus says. I told them. I showed them all that you are. The way I behaved, the way I spoke, the way I acted, the way I loved, that's how you are. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The Father loves like this. The Father teaches truth like this. The Father rebukes error like this. The Father cares like this. Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. I've made known to them your name. And, he says, I will continue to make it known. I've shown them who you were like, Father, and guess what? I'm going to show them even more who you're like. You're not just the God who comes and heals sicknesses. You're the God who comes and takes sin, the problem of humanity, away. You're the God who would love them so much that they would walk to the cross, hang upon the cross, and die for the sins of the world. This is how much you love. You love so much that you would give me to them, that they would have life. You're not some cruel dictator. You're not some absent monarch. You're here, and you're here to save. And I will make, and I will continue to make it known. Look at, look at, look at, look at the head of the text. Verse, look at chapter 18. He's betrayed right away. He's arrested. He goes to trial. For chapter 19, he, he hangs up on a cross. This is what's coming. I will continue to make it known, he says, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them in the same way that you have loved me, praise Jesus. You love them. And you love them even before. Your love is the reason why I'm here. And I will show them how deep your love goes. I will show them this day how much God loves them, the 11, and the millions who would follow. I will show them how much you love. Spurgeon said this about the text. He says, do not tell me that God the Father does not love you as well as he does Christ. The point can be settled by the grandest matter of fact that ever was. Listen. When there was a choice between Christ and his people, which should die of the two, the Father freely delivered up his own Son that we might live through him. I will show them who you are 
And I will continue to show them who you are so that the love with which you've loved me may be in them. And then the last words, and I in them. Abide. I will go to the cross so that they will know your love and I will live for them. Tell me, tell me this. When someone loves you like this and they step back and say, or before even, they pray, if they could just live this life in community with others, sharing this message with the world and abiding in me, oh please, Father, that they would live like this. Would you believe it from someone who loves you this much? That you would live your life like this and find real community and real purpose and real meaning? Listen, I'm not afraid of failure. I am afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter. 